Hey, this is Nate, and I'm a junior at App State. Thank you for listening to the RUF at App State podcast. For more information about RUF, please visit www.appstate.ruf.org. Welcome to RUF. Anyway, my name is Chris, and a special welcome to you if this is your first time or if you're just trying us out. Uh, We're really, really excited to have you and happy that you're here. Um, uh, It's no, you know, secret that uh, it's been a hard week or two at at App and um, just, you know, we lost uh, one of our family and um, as you guys well know and uh, it's one, number one, I'm very thankful for this campus. Uh, I know you guys like really don't know anything about, about this campus, most of you. Um, but you should be very thankful because you have a campus that loves you very much. And you have administrators that love you very much. And you have wonderful resources like the Counseling Center and other folks on campus. There's wonderful campus ministries um, that love you and that... Um, are here. So just with all that s- stuff going on, um, if you're hurting and if you need some help, um, please don't be so proud to think that like you're 19 and like you can handle everything. Uh, it's okay to like, it's okay to need people and it's okay to go talk to somebody. I would love to talk to you. So don't do it alone. Um, but for me, th- all this stuff has been a, a really a poignant reminder um, that a lot of y'all are really lonely, okay, and um, I think it's safe to say that uh, our friend who we lost um, was very lonely and felt isolated, and that a lot of y'all are lonely. Some of you are really lonely, and uh, especially freshmen, like it's weird, like I understand that like a month ago you were living in mom and dad's house. And now you're here, and you're trying to figure out. I was talking to Wes the other day. It's just like remembering freshman year, like sitting in the dining hall, like eating by yourself. Like it's just, it can be a lonely time, and um, everybody needs a place um, where you can belong to, and where like if you're not there, that people will notice, and people will care that you're not there, like. That's a basic human need, and um, we don't always do this super well at RUF, and I understand that, and I I take this this sort of credit for that, but um, we want this community of people, like, we don't want RUF to be a thing that you do. We would love for RUF to be a group of people that you're a part of, where you feel like you belong here, and um, whether you're a skeptical person, a non-religious skeptical person, and you're figuring this out, this is a safe place. If you're a Christian person and you've been beat up in, in ministry and you just feel like, I just need to go somewhere and rest, we want this to be this kind of place for you. And if you're just like lonely and you need somewhere to belong, we would love for you to belong at RUF. And whatever we can do to make this place a place that you belong to, um, please help us know how to do that. Um, uh, and so, and one thing, <laughs> in case we haven't heard about Fall Conference enough, um, not because it makes me look good or makes RUF look good. If you're trying to figure out where you belong and figure out where you are, I would strongly commend to you to sign up for Fall Conference. If it's a money thing, we'll figure it out. 
But just getting off campus with some people and riding in a car somewhere and like being somewhere with new friends, it is very powerful. Um, I tell freshman Bible study leaders, if you get them to sign up for fall conference, they will stay in RUF. And it's not like some magic trick. It's just like you make connections with people. So that's my personal appeal for fall conference. Sign up. It's $99. I will give you money, basically, to go uh, to fall conference. Um, but so, okay, it's been a tough week. Um, I think that we, we're asking a lot. We ask a lot of questions. And I think that a normal and natural question that you could be asking when you think about various things that have happened on campus and in the, the midst of tragedy and trial, um, a, a good and normal question to ask is, what does God think about that? And um, when strategy strikes, like, what is God going to do about that? Like, how is he going to respond? What does God do? And tonight, we're looking at the Apostles' Creed. You see if you have a handout. Um, we're on the section there that says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And tonight, as we, as we ask this question, how does God respond to a broken and hurting world? We're going to see that God responds to a broken and hurting world by lowering himself and coming to us as a human being. And this, why that is amazing. So read with me if you have your paper, if you have your Bible. We're in Philippians chapter 2. I probably should have told you that already. So you could have turned there. Um, and spent the last three minutes figuring out where Philippians is. So, um, Philippians, I'm going to read 1 through 11, uh, just because it's not really good just to jump in the middle of a paragraph. Um, but we're going to feel for the whole thing, but we're going to focus on 5 through 8. So, Philippians chapter 2. Listen, this is God's word. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can come and read it together. And uh, Lord, we ask that you uh, would be our comforter tonight. That uh, you would show us yourself in your word and that we would be drawn to you. And that we would receive joy and that we would receive um, Comfort for our morning, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, so, tonight we're looking at what is called the incarnation, the Christmas story, right? That Jesus, God himself, became a person, that he became a baby, that he was born um, of a woman named Mary. And, I, you know, no one in here is like, wait, did you just say? That God became a baby and was born? That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Um, 
it's probably a little bit regular to us, common. You know, we've probably all celebrated Christmas, or most of us have celebrated Christmas. And um, it's a little bit strange, though, because last week we were talking about God, and He's infinite, and He's eternal, and He's unchangeable, and He created everything that exists. And the fact that He Himself became a human child should be at least slightly strange to us, okay? So, for the moment, like, let's just suspend for a moment that that's, this is really normal, and just take it at what it is that it's God becoming uh, a fetus and being born. Uh, and, and, and what I want to do as we look through this passage is ask, why would God do that? Why, why did God do that in the first place? How did that happen? Okay, because it's kind of weird if you think about it. Okay. And, and so what? Okay, so what does it matter for you? Why should you care? Um, okay, so, so why? Look at verse uh, 5 and 6. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. What Paul's saying here is, um, Jesus, okay, we're going to do some theology tonight. Is that okay? We can, we're good with theology. We can, hang, we can hang with that. God is one God. He exists in three persons, okay? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all three of those persons individually are God, okay? So God the Son came to earth and, and was born. And it says here that he made himself nothing. Your translation, if you're looking at a different translation, might say he emptied himself. Um, but it's interesting, before that he says... He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what he's, not, he's not saying like that Jesus didn't think something like equality of God was a thing that you grasp sort of like mentally or intellectually. But it's not something to be grasped onto. That equality of God was, wasn't something to be held onto. Eugene Peterson, if you're reading the message, um, he puts it this way. I think it's helpful. He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. You catch what he said? Jesus is equal with God. He is God. But he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of his deity. Okay? The benefits of being God. There was something that Jesus, God, saw as more important. Something that he prioritized over, frankly, having the advantages of being God, which are many. And the thing that, that Jesus prioritized, the thing that he values more than the advantages of being God, is rescuing his people. Jesus has a people, and they're separated from him. And he sees getting them back, getting us back, getting human beings back, as more important than in a true sense, being God or having the advantages of God. And it's, as I was thinking about this passage, it's like the differences between us and Jesus are pretty striking, okay, in a lot of ways, if you've ever read about Jesus. Um, but it's, what's interesting to me is Jesus is God, and he's saying, I can let those, those I, I don't have to grasp onto being God, um, but we as human beings do count equality with God a thing to be grasped after. And we, I know that we do that because we demand to be treated 
Like we're of utmost importance. Um, everybody in this room that has a roommate has roommate issues. Okay? Um, you thought that you were incapable of despising and resenting another person until you moved in with someone that is not related to you. And they put you in like an 8 by 8 cell in Eggers and expect... This is, this is Will's water. Um, uh, and expect, which is gross. Um, they put you in an 8x8 eight eight cell and they expected you to get along with one another and actually live through that experience, which is amazing to, to think about that they would expect that out of someone that's right out of high school. But anyway, um, this is the, one of the beautiful things of marriage. Um, they just, you can't go away. Like, you just, anyway. Um, nor would you want to. Right, honey? Um, uh, but a lot of our issues with our roommates gen- are generated from the fact that we demand to be considered and respected and our rights and even our um, opinions to be valued and honored at all times. Okay? Like, um, you have an opinion about when and how dishes should be washed. Um, I have an opinion about that as well. Um, when your roommate, when you do the dishes the way your roommate doesn't want you to do them, and they freak out, you're like, they're overreacting. Okay? And they, and they yell at you. Um, but when they, when you do the, uh, when, when they do the dishes the way that you don't want them to, okay, they have, like, fundamentally disrespected you as a human being. Like, I have rights over this house, and my opinion matters, and people must listen to what I say. Um, uh, they, they, they've, just, they, they've lost fundamental respect for you. The way that they speak to you, okay, if, 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 if it's not the very intense way that you like to speak, then they're talking down to you, and they don't respect you. If, if, if it is an intense way, and you're, you're more of a calmer person, they're acting childish, Okay? Look, we, Jesus, we're confronted with Jesus. He is literally the only person that has genuine, ultimate rights in creation. And he's looking at us and going, I don't hold those things so dear that I can't let them go for other people. And it is striking to me how different we are and we grasp for power. So we're confronted by this Jesus, and he's saying, saving sinners is more important to me than the advantages of being God. So he lowers himself willingly. No one forced Jesus. No one forced his hand. He wasn't held by like the, the sway of history that this must happen. He willingly lowered himself. And so how does he do that? What does that look like uh, is the second question. Um, when Paul says that he emptied himself or he made himself nothing, depending on what your translation says. Um, here's what Paul doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Jesus, in some sense, lost his divinity. Or that he lost part of his divinity. Or he gave up something fundamental to what it means to be God. What he means is this. Look at, look at the wording. If your, if your Bible doesn't say this, it should, because it's a good trans, better translation. Says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. 
Um, Jesus took the form of a servant, and that is how he was, in, he was emptying himself. He was, in a sense, subtracting by adding. Okay? And you guys are like, what are you talking about? Okay. A little more theology. Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son himself, is a person. I don't know if you knew that. Anyway, he's a person. And because um, he's God... Okay, you, you are all people. And as persons, you have a human nature. It's fundamental to who you are as a human being. Okay? As a human being, you have a soul. Okay? Go like this. Okay? You have a soul. Okay? And you have a body. And that's what it means to have a human nature. Okay? Jesus is God. He has a divine nature. Always has. Always will. When Jesus was incarnate, he added... Okay, so he has a human... He's a person. He has a divine nature. He added to himself... A human nature. Which means he added to himself a body and a soul. A real body and a real soul. So that he was simultaneously 100% divine and 100% human. Um, what didn't happen was that a baby was growing in the womb. And God said, this one is special. And I'm going to make him the savior. And I'm going to adopt him as my only son. Uh, you laugh, but people have been burned for these things in the past. Uh, quite literally burned for these things in the past. Um, so don't laugh too hard. Because um, I can see all of you at the same time. Um, it doesn't mean that Jesus is God and he appears to be a human being. It doesn't mean that Jesus is 50% God, 50% a human being. Jesus is 100% divine and 100% human. He's the only person that can do that. FYI. Uh, I like Sufjan Stevens. Okay. Someone just, it was like a yeah. Okay, it wasn't like a ugh. Okay, um, good. Because I was just going to write you off as being ignorant. Anyway, um, but when he, when he talks about the incarnation, I love, he says, mystery involved itself. That when Jesus was incarnate, he, um, he, was, fully, he was fully God and fully man. Okay, so we are uncomfortable with Jesus being human. And you're like, no, I'm not. Okay. There was a young woman, her name was Mary, and she lived in Nazareth, okay? Probably younger than we're comfortable with saying that she actually was. And she, okay, everybody in this room is about to get so awkward. Um, she, in her body, contained eggs. And um, she had an egg. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be flippant at all. I, in a sense, want to make us uncomfortable with this. The, when the, the creed puts it exactly right. It says that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Literally, the Holy Spirit fertilized an egg in a woman named Mary. And she gave birth to a child that had been fertilized by the Holy Spirit. So in a real and true sense, God is Jesus' father in the metaphysical, biological sense. Okay? If that is not like very I hope that we would get to this point where you were all looking at me like I'm not really sure um, I did not I mean I want to I'm, I'm, I'm as careful as careful as anyone at like not I recognize the inherent irony in that um, but but Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb and born truly of, of a woman named Mary. So here's what that means. That means that when Jesus was a zygote in his mother's womb, 
You're like, I can't believe you're calling Jesus as I go. Um, you're uncomfortable with Jesus being a human being. Okay? And there's a real sense that we struggle to relate to God because we're like, dude, you don't get it. Okay? We're, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, while Jesus was in his mother's womb, while he was an embryo, he was simultaneously, completely, 100% dependent upon his mother's body to give him nutrition. Okay? He was fed like any child in the womb. And simultaneously was holding the entire universe together. Okay? 100% man, 100% God. When Jesus was born, he was an infant. He was born literally into something that animals eat out of. Um, which is not good. Uh, when he was born, he cried because he needed to be changed. And he cried because he needed to be nourished um, from his mother. He needed, he needed his mother to nurse him. And simultaneously was controlling and overseeing sovereignly the affairs of every single person on the earth. 100% God and 100% Man, And when Jesus lowers himself, he takes the form of a servant. What it means is this. He never ceases to be God. But he veils himself in such a way that as he walks down the street, nobody knows it. That is what it looks like for Jesus to be uh, incarnated. You know that word carne, flesh. He's taken on real, real flesh. He set aside his glory and majesty. And what he did was he came into a world, not just, not just a, a human physical world, but a world full of poverty and sickness and hurt and abuse. And he entered right into it. Um, I listen to NPR because I'm, I don't know what that says about myself. but Because um, I get it and you can't get any other stations running. And the other day there was um, a story about a guy named Ron Suskind. And uh, Ron Suskind is a writer, but Ron Suskind has two sons, and his oldest son is called Walt, and that's really ironic, and you'll understand why in a minute. But his, uh, his younger son is named Owen. And when Owen uh, was like two, two and a half, he was a totally typical kid, very talkative. When you're like two, trust me, children have many, many words at two. And uh, so he was talking a lot, just like a typical kid, playing rambunctious, whatever. About two and a half, he started losing some words. Started being less talkative. By the time he was three, he had lost all of his words except for juice. And um, was non-communicative. And it turned out that, that um, Owen was, uh, was autistic. And so Owen's autistic. And if you know, um, folks, that my, my wife's niece is, is uh, severely autistic. If you've talked to an autistic kid, I think there's, it's like a, there's a wall. Like you, it's very hard to communicate with them. It's like you're talking... And they can acknowledge you, but you're not really getting through. And that's kind of what happened to Owen at three. And they were really confused by it, as you would, any family would. But this was the early 90s. And um, if, if you don't know because you weren't born, um, the early 90s were a golden era for Disney. Um, great Disney movies in the early mid-90s. Little Mermaid. Um, the Lion King. Uh, Aladdin. Strong. Strong work by Disney. And Aladdin. And the only thing, you know, often autistic kids will, they'll fixate on something. And the only thing that Owen really fixated on was Disney movies. He watched Disney movies all the time. 
And um, they, they didn't know what to do. Should they take it away? Should they let them keep doing it? They let them keep doing it. And one night, they're watching The Little Mermaid. And, um, you know, Ursula is talking to Ariel. And, and uh, the kid's saying, Juicerverse, uh, Juicerverse. This is all he's word. And they're like, okay, juice, juice, juice. Okay, we get it. And he's saying it over and over again. But he starts rewinding the movie. Okay, because he's a little older at this point. And he re- reminds, reminds the movie, reminds the movie, just to a point where, where Ursula says to Ariel, it won't cost you a thing. Just your voice. Okay, and he would rewind it again. Just your voice. And they realized, he's saying just your voice. He's saying what's on the movie. And over time, as they watched movies with him, uh, they, they found that he knew like the entire script of all these movies. And what they would do is they would, his older brother and, and his mom and dad, um, this is why it's funny that his brother's name is Walt. Okay. Um, but they would go down into the basement, because Walt Disney. Okay. Um, and they would go down into the basement... And they would act out these scenes. Because one night he decided they had an Iago from Aladdin puppet. And he just started talking to him like Gilbert Gottfried and saying lines for the movie. And that Owen started talking back and using the movie. And they would go down. They would act out entire scenes from Disney movies. Because for a, for a moment, Owen would talk to them. This was the language that he had. And they, they talk about it as being like they, 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 uh, he was letting them into this underground chamber. And once they got there, they realized that there was navigation equipment, and it was these movies, and he would talk to them. And one really poignant story, uh, Owen's, I think, 23, graduating from college, but he was going to this program, and it was the day before he was leaving to go to college. And this is just an, an example of how he communicates. He, um, he goes, and he puts in The Little Mermaid, and at the end of the movie, you know, there's a part with Sebastian, who's a, a crab, right? And... Um, He's talking to King Triton, you know, Ariel's going off um, to follow her dreams of being in love or whatever. And, um, and, you know, Sebastian says to King Triton, I don't remember exactly what he says, but, you know, like, it's okay. Uh, what does he say? All children got to be free to follow their own dreams, right? And so he, he puts this on and he plays it for his, for his family. And then he turns and looks at them and he says, are we okay? Um... His family, by coming into the basement and entering into this Disney store that he was involved in, they, they came to him and they entered his story to speak with him in a way that he could understand and that they could understand him. They entered into his story and Jesus has come down to us and he has entered our story to make God accessible and knowable to us. He's fully related himself to us. So here's what that means. So, so, so what? Um, if you're sad, or you're lonely, or you're poor, or you've been poor, or you're neglected, or you've been abused, or you've been hurt, um, please take comfort tonight in knowing That God does not sit far off, aloof and away, and demanding that you meet his requirements. But he comes to you and he says, I know every single thing that you are going through. And I will lower myself for you. And that is called grace, my friends. Um, uh, I've never was in a fraternity, obviously. And... um, and because I don't have nearly enough cool shirts. I'm always so jealous of those cool, like, social shirts. And, um, 
And I've, I've never in a sorority, but I never feel like more like a, I mean, a fraternity. I know the difference. Um, I was never in a fraternity, but um, I've never felt more like, like I was in a brotherhood than when I dropped my three-year-old daughter off to preschool. And it's like me and like eight other dads. And everyone's kind of looking a little like bleary-eyed, like awkward, like holding this little hand, you know? I'm holding my daughter's like mini mouse backpack and frozen lunchbox, and we're walking into the school, you know? And like I look at those guys and we're like, uh, like I understand you, man. Like I, I, I relate to you. Um, and it's a powerful feeling to feel related to. Um, and, you know, in a bit more somber way, I know a lot of you guys, like, you have divorced parents, and my parents are divorced, too. And, uh, like, you probably, if your parents are divorced, you know the feeling of, like, talking to your other friends about, like, it's just hard. But, like, you were just with them at, like, their parents, like, 30th anniversary party. And you're like, I'm glad that you're trying to sympathize with me, but you don't really, like, get it. Okay, you guys know the feeling if that's your parents. Um, uh... But it's really, isn't it really powerful when you talk to someone and you're telling them your story of your parents, and they're like, yeah, I know, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they tell you their story, right? And there's this powerful moment of true relation. Um, Brene Brown, who's a sociologist, she says the two most powerful words in the English language when you're in a struggle are me too. Um, Jesus stands before you tonight, and there is nothing that you're bringing as far as hurt, abuse, neglect, that he can't say, me too. Um, did, you, did you know that about God? Um, whether you, you're figuring this thing out or whether you've been a Christian your whole life, um, do you know that God relates to you in that way, that he's lowered himself to you? And my question as we, as we close tonight um, I said at the beginning that I want RUF to be like this place where, you, where people are welcome. And what would it look like for us, what would it look like for you, to lower yourself and to move towards somebody that's hurting? What would it look like for you to move towards somebody that's awkward? What would it look like for you to move towards someone that doesn't have a friend, what would it look like for you, I understand you have rights, what would it look like for you to lower yourself to your roommate and take the form of a servant um, and serve them and love them in that way? And um, I'm just going to say this, uh, you're welcome, I, I say this all the time and I mean it, you can just come in the door and you can leave and you can just check it out from a distance and you have all the time in the world to process on your own. Um, if you are a committed Christian person, uh, this, is, this is not a guilt trip, and I'm not about to tell you something to do. If you're a committed Christian person, and you're like, yeah, I'm an RUF because that's, that's who I am. I'm like one of those Christian people. And you're like, yeah, but I don't really want to move toward other people, and I'm, I'm good. Um, I hope that, this is going to sound weird. I hope that RUF becomes an increasingly uncomfortable place for you to be. Um, because it's my prayer that by God's grace, we will ever the more be lowering ourselves, moving toward people with Jesus. Because he's
he's done it for us. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your grace. Thank you that um, when we could never, ever, ever, ever reach up to you, and we didn't even want to, that you've come to us, and that Jesus shows us God. And uh, as, we, as we think about that, and next week as we look to the cross, uh, would you infatuate us uh, with the Lord Jesus? Um, Jesus, would you come to us now by your Spirit and work in our heart in a new way? Lord, help us to be a community that looks like you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.